Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome here, welcome online. I have to start out telling you a story because I told everybody at every other service. So I came here early this morning. I was getting ready. I was going to go print my sermon, and I opened my laptop, turned it on, and I couldn't get in. Like, I tried every pin, every password. I was totally locked out. So I had a little bit of a panic, and I thought, well, I am determined to give this message today, so <laughs> I'm going to trust God. I think God's just throwing me the deep end saying, here you go. So <laughs> here we go, and just offer me a little grace today. So today we are continuing our series about women of faith and courage, and today we're talking about what does it mean to have determined faith, and we're going to focus on the story of Abigail. Now, determination, I'm sure that word for all of us, we can think of a time where we felt determined to do something, determined to move forward and fix our eyes on the prize. I can think of when I was an undergrad, I was uh, studying voice, and I remember I had to be in class all day, because when you're a music major, it's like you're double majoring. Can you say the same Lexi. It's like you do your classes and then you're doing your music classes. So the only time I had to practice was after dinner. And I was so tired, but I thought, you know what? I am so determined to sing well. I'm so determined to work on my craft that I made myself go and do the right thing. And so it's fixing our eyes on what is the right thing to do, what is the thing that we feel we have to move forward in. And so today, before we dive into this story, I think it's important for us to back up a little bit so you have a little context to understand a little bit about David uh, in the book of Samuel. Now, at the beginning of this book, um, Samuel is a prophet, so that's what the book is named after, and the people of Israel are continually being defeated, and they're saying, you know what, we really want a king. God, we really want a king. And God says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm the king. You listen to me. But the people still insisted and told Samuel, we want a king. We want a king. So God said, you know what? I'm going to give the people a king. So they appointed Saul to be king, and Saul was anointed. Now, at first, Saul was a good king. Saul listened to the prophet Samuel, who was the voice of God, and the voice of instruction, and he listened to God's word. But eventually Saul started to kind of think, well, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. He had a lot of pride, he was arrogant, and so he thought his way was the best. And this didn't please God. And God told Samuel, I want you to go out to the country and I want you to go anoint a new king. And so Samuel went out And he anointed David, a shepherd boy. And he anointed him as the second king of Israel. But the thing is that David couldn't be king until Saul was dead. But the reason that God wanted David to be king was because David was described as somebody who was after God's own heart. David sought God. David wanted to follow God. David was righteous. And David later became a big name in uh, Saul's household, as you know, Saul's kingdom, ever since the story of Goliath. And he became a mighty warrior. He won many battles for the Israelites. 
And because of that, he became very popular with the people. And when his fame started to rise, Saul started to become really jealous. And then Saul decided to take matters in his own hands and thought, this David needs to die. And so he went after David, and that led David into the wilderness, which is where we see David today. The amazing thing is, is that David was a skilled warrior, probably more skilled than Saul, because in these stories of the wilderness, there were opportunities where David could go after Saul and defeat Saul, but he didn't because he knew that God told him that he cannot kill Saul. He cannot defeat Saul. And so he refrained. He listened to God. And then we come to this story. We come to this story and we see David who is angry and wanting to seek vengeance and go after Nabal. And you think, well, wait a minute. This is the guy who's after God's own heart, right? What changed here? Well, what we see is that David and his men are in this wilderness of Maon and they come up to a servant and ask that, can you tell your servant Nabal? that we are in need of some food. We've done all these things, protect your sheep, and we're so desperate, we are so hungry. And so what happens is Nabal, being greedy, being foolish, decides, no, I'm not going to give David and his men food. And, and by the way, who is this David? I'm not going to give this to some runaway servant. Now, this is the thing. Sheep, it was sheep-shearing season. And Nabal had plenty. He had 3,000 flocks of sheep. He had 3,000 flocks of goats. So in this sheep shearing season, it was a feast day. And on these feast days, traditionally, it was that you were to be generous. You were to be generous with your offerings of what you had. So you gave it to people in your household. You gave it to your neighbors. You gave it to strangers. So David coming to Nabal's household and asking for food, this was not something that was just random. He knew that it was expected. And Nabal didn't follow in that tradition. And so David became angry and started to spiral out of control. And all of a sudden we see somebody who is so caught up in this anger and this insult and he's ready to attack. And then, the hidden God, the hidden yet present God that works behind the scenes, we see starts to work in Abigail. Now the servant came to Abigail and told her all of this. And she didn't hesitate at all. She knew at that moment, she knew her husband was foolish. She knew that he did the wrong thing. And she was determined in that moment to set things right because a wrong had been done. And so the amazing thing, think of this story. Abigail is coming down this ravine. These men, hundreds of men are coming right towards her. She goes right into the conflict. She doesn't avoid it. She doesn't send a servant to speak for her. No, she goes down and she takes food. And what does she do before him? She humbles herself. She throws herself at David's feet and says, place the blame on me. And she says to David, I know this was wrong. And so she shows, I'm trying to make this right. Here, here, I have brought food for you. 
But then she says something else that's really important. She says, David, yours is a sure house. And in the scripture, that means yours is a promised house. God has bigger plans for your story. Don't mess this up. You can't lead with blood on your hands. And so Abigail pretty much laid it out for David to say, you can either choose death or life. You can choose vengeance or forgiveness. You can choose your own way, David, or you can return to God's way. And David, we see in the scriptures, is all of a sudden brought back down to earth and he realizes what he was doing. And he blesses Abigail. He says, bless you. Because if you hadn't have come, I would have made a mess of things. She came in peace. She came in humility and humble words to set things right, to bring David back to where he needed to focus. And he, in turn, blessed her and wished peace on her household. What we see in this story tells us something about peace. And in the Hebrew, the word for peace is shalom. And many of you know that. It means peace. And when we think of the word peace, we may think, you know, a peace of mind, um, feeling relaxed, an end of war. It's all, it's all those things. But the actual translation of the word shalom is wholeness, completeness. And if we have a God of peace, this is a God who longs for us to be whole, to be complete. God longs for his creation to also be complete. But conflict does happen. Sin happens. I was um, talking to my daughter recently about uh, forgiveness, trying to teach a visual of forgiveness and coming back in peace. And my littlest one is a toddler, and we still have to be patient. We have to teach sharing. And my oldest just doesn't quite understand that still because she thinks, no, that's my toy. Well, I told her, you know, these blocks are kind of like us. Like when we're at peace, we feel complete, feel at rest. When we're in relationship with other people, when we're at peace, this is kind of how it feels feel complete together. But when conflict happens, when words are said, when things are done, we kind of feel like this. We feel broken up inside. But God calls us God calls us, prompted by the Spirit, to come back to one another and to seek peace. So I told my daughter, I said, it is coming back and saying, I'm sorry. It's coming back and sharing. It's coming back and learning and trying again. And we may go through that again and again, but we should be prompted to come back so that we can live in that shalom, that peace that God wishes his creation to live in. Abigail 
was determined to follow in God's way of peace. And the way that she did that is she didn't hide away. She came right into the conflict. And you know what? It, it's hard. It's hard to come and, sit and admit you've done something wrong or it's hard to bring up something again. But it's so necessary for our lives. It's necessary for our communities. In the gospel lesson today, we see Jesus is at a meal with the Pharisees. And the one thing you have to understand is Luke has a lot of these meal scenes. And Jesus is invited to dine with these religious elites. Now, right before this gospel, Jesus has just healed a man of dropsy in front of these Pharisees. And then they go to this meal, and what do they do? They start arguing about, you know, who should take the place of honor. The only people invited to this meal are their circle of friends, their people. But because Jesus is the Prince of Peace, we see continually in these gospel lessons that Jesus shows up not to tear things down, not to cause chaos, but to come and point and say, look, look what's broken. Look who you're inviting. Just your circle. While the people outside these walls are, should also be welcome to the table. Jesus also humbled himself for our sakes, taking our sin upon him, going to the cross, because the reality is that when we are at peace with God, we have that shalom, but then sin comes and it separates us from God. But we can rejoice because of grace that we can come continually again and again and know that we are forgiven and we forever have that peace of God with us. You probably have heard that phrase, keep the peace, let's keep the peace. And it's not a bad thing to keep the peace because when conflict happens, there's an appropriate time to talk about things. There's a right time to, you know, discuss but consider this, if, peace keep, if we're peacekeepers for the moment, we act that everything's fine, but if we don't address those things, if we don't ask for forgiveness, if we don't come and try to come to the table and discuss, we're just going to let that fester inside us and we remain broken even if everything seems fine. But Jesus said on his Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the children of God. Peacemakers are the ones who come and face the conflict, come back and to seek it, but not to seek their own means, not to seek their agenda. It's about coming in humility and wanting to reconcile. And you know, sometimes we have conflicts that are really hard and we don't have peace. And I pray that if you're somebody dealing with that, I pray peace on your life because those are difficult. In our circumstances where conflict comes up, though, we must try because we need each other. 
I read a book in college. Um, it's actually one of my favorite books I read in my undergrad. It was called Peace is Every Step, and it's a book by Thich Nhat Hanh. And if you don't know Thich Nhat Hanh, he's a Buddhist monk, um, and he's a peace activist. And he worked a lot in Vietnam. And in this book, it's a lot of Buddhist meditation, but he talks about how conflict happens. And sometimes conflict is a lack, is because of a lack of understanding. We misunderstand each other. And in that misunderstanding, we're torn apart. But he says when we have those conflicts, we end up having this internal conflict. And it can feel as if we have these knots inside our bodies. And so he advocates to say that when we have those knots, they're just going to sit inside us until we work to untangle them. And the way that we untangle them is by coming together and seeing the knots in the other person too coming in humility, and coming and figuring out a way to undo them together. To live with determined faith, like Abigail, we have to trust God in this process. But we also, not just in our words, need to verbalize that peace. We also must take action. We must take action when we see it happening between us and another person or a group of people or when we see it in our world. We must take action because that is where true shalom, wholeness, and completeness happens. Stay determined in staying on the path of God's peace. To not be deterred by the tension. It's hard, but we have to face it because we have to strive towards coming together to heal, and to reform the bonds of peace with one another. In baptism, we are given the Spirit, the Spirit that nudges and leads us. We have a God who gives us wisdom. Let us lean into those promises, and let us believe fully that the peace of Christ does really rule in our hearts. So as you go out in your week, Consider, are you a peacekeeper or a peacemaker? In what ways do you see in the world we need more peace? And let us work toward that so that all, including you and I and the rest of the world, can work so that all can know God's shalom. Thanks be to God. Amen.